What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome back to a brand new episode of your favorite wrestling podcast. Listen, you don't have to tell the other wrestling podcasts. It can be our secret. We know it's Ringside Rewind kicking the door down on 2022 in style. I am one half of your podcast wrestling tag team champions of the world, Chris Trudy, a.k.a. Snaggle J. And as always, with the hot tag, it's my main man, Mr. Chris Doyle. So I looked in my stocking on Christmas morning, and I saw that we were doing New Year's Revolution, mm-hmm. and it was like getting a piece of coal. Listen, listen. You know, there's so many wrestling events that we could cover on any given episode some of the greatest events of all time and every now and then we gotta cover a stinker because we were talking about this before the show and i mean new year's revolution really has one redeeming quality past the amazing broad panties gauntlet match oh my (laughs) no but like it's it's hilarious because it's kind of funny right because much like day one, an er, another early January event, they typically suck. Yeah. And, and I think, especially like in this era of WWE, where, you know, we're probably like eight years into the whole having a pay-per-view every month, you know, after we moved on from the big four you know, during the Attitude Era, and we started having these monthly, quote-unquote, minor pay-per-views that ended up becoming major, huge sellers, mostly because of you never knew what Stone Cold was going to do on top of any one of those pay-per-views. I would like to correct you, sir. They are not pay-per-views. They are are premium live events. Well, they weren't in 2006, okay? So, like, you know, like, get off my back, maybe. But, like, you know, obviously, like, New Year's Revolution 2006 is remembered for one big moment. But the actual pay-per-view, much like most of the pay-per-views between the big events, are just not good. Well, and part and, of it is you're working with half a roster because these are brand yes. branded events. This is the this is a raw event. Yeah. Uh and in oh, December it was raw. There was it was a SmackDown. Raw, right. <laughs> Speaking of are you talking about the bra and panties gauntlet match? No, 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 definitely not. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but listen, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna give we're gonna go over this thing with a fine tooth comb because I think that's that's what it deserves. So this was the second New Year's Revolution pay per view. Uh, it happened on January eighth, two thousand six, from the Pepsi Arena in Albany, New York. The attendance eleven thousand people saw this flaming pile of dog stuff uh the first new year's revolution had happened the year before and was a special event that occurred in uh, puerto rico and it was kind of cursed because it was known as the uh, pay-per-view having most uh, back-to-back injuries having occurred with eugene uh, blowing out a knee as well as lita uh, both in matches live on the pay-per-view so I think we can at least say nobody got injured except for some hurt feelings on this show. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting because I have to admit this pay-per-view was worse than I remember. 
I don't remember it being like super good by any stretch of the imagination, but like after having watched it for the first time in almost 16 years, man, did this ever suck? Um, but yeah, like it's an odd time, right? You've, you've, you've got, you've got some guys on the roster that are kind of nursing some injuries. You're still trying to build towards the Royal rumble, right? You know, which, which is only in a few weeks after this three weeks away. So coach mentions that a couple of times. Yeah. So it sits in an interesting sort of time frame between kind of the start of the year and the Royal rumble. Like again, like. I feel like a lot of fans might have gone into this thinking it was just going to be white noise, but then you have an elimination chamber match on top. So like, you know, that's going to bring, you know, chaos and carnage and a a five and six chance that John Cena was going to lose the WWE championship. But yeah. Well, part of the problem, as we talked about was part of the brand split and Another thing that happened is there was a house show not far away from Albany the same night as New Year's Revolution. Uh, And that was a house show that caused a lot of problems when it came to timing on the road to WrestleMania for that year. Batista had torn his triceps in a singles match with Mark Henry. Batista was draped over the ropes. Henry ran at him, jumped on his back. And Batista reportedly took the bump badly and got up hurting Batista has had two previous tricep tears since starting in wrestling, which required two surgeries, the second of which came while jogging and falling down while recuperating from the first tear. He was flown to Birmingham, Alabama for an examination with Dr. James Andrews, as well as for an MRI. Uh, Andrews unavailable because he had suddenly suffered a heart attack and canceled all appointments. But after meeting with Andrews staff, the initial prognosis was not good. It was a full tear that would require surgery to attach the muscle to the bone, and Batista would be out about six months. Batista flew back to Philadelphia on uh, January 10th for the SmackDown tapings that night. Uh, The title was put up in a battle royal. Angle was brought, Kurt Angle, brought from Raw, and eliminated Henry to win, and presumably sets up Angle versus Orton as the Mania title match. Yeah, unfortunately, that's bad luck. That is bad luck. And again, right? I think that's, you know, you're you're still you're in this era, right? Late two thousand five, early two thousand six. You know, you're we're into the brand split. There is no crossover between the rosters, um, and you're sort of, you know, they've covered a lot of this on the ruthless aggression program on the network because we're we're well into the ruthless aggression era at this point um you know i think the problem you run into especially when you i've never been a big fan of the brand split to be completely honest um and this is one of the reasons why because again the the brand split becomes completely meaningless when somebody gets hurt and all of a sudden angle goes from one show to the other was there a trade? Was it, you know, a, a free agent signing? Whatever. In storyline, it was never explained. And I think, to me, the brand split always has created more problems than it solves. 
you know, you're you're running these these branded pay-per-views. You know, sometimes they were running multiple, and like they did here, right? You're running multiple events within the same month. You know, all of these guys from this Raw branded pay-per-view would have wrestled at, at the Royal Rumble a few weeks later. You're you're just in you're, it, when somebody goes down with an injury, especially somebody like like Batista, who they had built into you know one of the faces of. Uh, SmackDown, you know, he, he came over in that very famous ending of, of, uh, that episode of SmackDown that ended, you know, when JBL thought he had won the SmackDown title and didn't actually, uh, I recently learned there's no need for a SmackDown championship. And then, and then Batista comes out and, you know, so, I mean, he, he was set up to be the face of SmackDown and in short order, here he is down and out hurt. Um, and you're, you're, you're scrambling and I think you're in this weird era as well, where I don't think the roster is as deep as the perception was that it was super deep. I think when you go up and down the raw and SmackDown rosters, there were only so many top end talents you know at this point uh brock is gone right um i think jericho jericho's gone those were two guys that were integral in the earlier part of the 2000s you know in in the the whole transitionary period from the the austin era for lack of a better term well and and a guy that had they had uh, built a lot around was Eddie Guerrero, who by this point had passed away. Passed away. Uh, Chris Benoit is gone at this point, I believe. Uh, I think a later, later 2006. Okay. Or, yeah, or 2007. So he's because his vi- he's still in the videos. Right. Oh yeah. So right. he's not gone. He that hasn't happened yet. But either way, I think what what like again, I don't think the rosters were as deep as the perception was. Well, and, I think you can look at just the Elimination Chamber match itself and see that two of the people in it are Carlito and Chris Masters. Yeah. I mean, you have Jerry Lawler wrestling on this event. Against Gregory Helms, which never heard. I of saw that and I'm like, that actually happened. Like, I don't remember... Like, I remember intrepid reporter Gregory Helms. I don't remember serious heel Gregory Helms. Yeah. So, you know, it's unfortunate that that Batista goes down like that and that Angle ends up switching shows. And it really has an impact as, you know, as we go into the Royal Rumble and and kick off that that ever integral three-month span. You You know, we know that from the first of the year to WrestleMania is probably the most important three months in in wwe because again you know wrestlemania is kind of their their blow off reset button um and to to start off you know 2006 with a with a with a major injury on a house show you know at the same time as this is happening it's 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 not it's not how i'm sure it's not how they envisioned uh their 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 year starting and this is the time of year that I usually get back. Like I usually fall off. Like when you get around the holidays, November, December, maybe I'm not watching the shows and I'm, you know, keeping up on, on the internet and things like that. 
this year i i'm not looking forward to i didn't watch day one i put it on my pvr yep. and i didn't i haven't watched it i haven't watched raw and i don't know how long um i haven't watched nxt since it went 2.0 like i i'm not excited i'll watch the rumble because i love the rumble like that's just that'll happen yeah but i think yeah it's a good point right it's hard to keep people interested during the holidays yeah like there was some great wrestling on during the holidays i mean you know uh aew had their their saturday night rampage you know christmas night obviously i didn't watch it i I was doing more important things i caught it on the pvr later on and it was a good show you know um well of course it was a good show hook was on it well of course WWE with their with their day one event. I watched a little bit of it. Um, I didn't watch any of the build towards it because at this point, to me, WWE programming is is unwatchable um, in its long televised form. I just catch up on the highlights on YouTube, or you know, listen to a a, a podcast or read a couple of review. Um, you know, web articles is all I need now to keep up on what's happening on the weekly programming for WWE. Uh, and then their big shift, you know, with Roman Reigns getting COVID and then, and Brock going into the, um, four way, which turned the, into the four way into a fatal five way. And then ends up walking away as WWE champion. I think again, right. I think it, your point is very valid. You know, this pay-per-view took place on January 8th. So, your your main build to it is occurring during a period of time where it is extremely difficult to keep people interested. I physically can't watch WWE television these days because of the camera cuts, because they cut so much. It actually begins to turn my stomach. Yeah. So like I watch very little of it and I find it's not as bad on, on the premium live events as it is on Raw or SmackDown. I don't know why, but so I'll watch, like I'm going to watch the Rumbles because again, I like that concept. What happens at the Rumble, I may not tune back on and back again until maybe till WrestleMania because I'll always watch WrestleMania. But back in this day, I was buying DVDs every month. Yeah. I'm looking at them now. By the way, I'm selling them if anybody wants them. Get at me. But um, I'm I'm buying the DVDs because we don't have... This is before the network. So these are $30 pay-per-views every month. And I wasn't somebody who had the disposable income to buy a pay-per-view every month unless something was going to happen big that interested me. Yeah, and again, that's the brand split doesn't help that. No. <laughs> when they're running, you know, f- five or six individual branded pay-per-views, plus you have the combined events that are being run also. I mean, WWE in, in this era was literally running like 15 to 16 pay-per-views a year, mm-hmm. which is which is crazy. Armageddon was December 18th. Right. There was a that, little bit of a break. It was only three weeks after Survivor Series. Yeah. So they're basically running an event 
every three weeks. The, the Royal Rumble goes on January 29th. No Way Out is three weeks later on February 19th. And then they take a break until WrestleMania. Yeah, the WrestleMania God. usually gets a six-week lead-up time. Yeah, which is And then you get backlash two or three yep. weeks later. Yep. Well, let's talk some more about New Year's Revolution. The main thing that we're looking at here on this show is the uh, Elimination Chamber uh, for the WWE Championship. Uh, there were six guys involved. John Cena, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, Kane, Carlito, and Chris Masters. Uh, on December 12th, qualifying matches for the Elimination Chamber occurred. Uh, Kurt Angle qualified by, by defeating Ric Flair. Carlito qualified after defeating Shelton Benjamin. Boy, Shelton Benjamin gets just absolutely crapped on on this show. Uh, Shawn Michaels uh, defeated the Big Show by disqualification. More on that in a second. Chris Masters qualified after defeating Viscera. And Kane defeated Triple H with help from his partner, the Big Show. Speaking of, that was kind of the secondary feud heading into this show. Started on November 28th when Triple H bragged about the destruction of Ric Flair until show came and confronted him. Uh, once again, on that December 12th show, uh, show faced uh, Shawn Michaels in a qualifying match. Triple H came down with a steel chair and hit Michaels with the intention of getting show disqualified. Michaels qualified for the Elimination Chamber match, and the reverse happened a little bit after that with a show interrupting the match between Kane and Triple H. The third feud heading into this, we're uh, going to talk about the Intercontinental Championship being held by Ric Flair. He went over with Edge. It started on December 5th. On Edge's interview segment, The Cutting Edge debuted. Edge and Lita insulted Flair so much that it forced Sergeant Slaughter and Michael Hayes to shut down the segment. Edge attacked both men and left them laying in the ring. I think this was the era where Michael Hayes gave that great interview uh, with Edge talking about how kids these days don't know how good they have it. 57-year-old intercontinental champion, Ric Flair, by the way. Um, man, you said you talked about so many things there that I hate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. The Viscera being involved in anything, I hate. The world's um, largest love machine. The wor Like, again, an absolutely talentless no reason having even being in a qualification match for an elimination chamber. Like again, that shows you how little talent WWE had to use at this time. The big show being involved in a world title feud. I am, I have never been a fan of the big show. I was a fan of the giant in WCW because I feel like in WCW, at least they made an effort to use him in a way that made sense, but I was never a fan of the big show, uh, especially this era big show, right? Like being involved in world title feuds and stuff. It's just, it's not, it makes no sense. And this Again, wasn't the best idea for show himself. And I think he's kind of admitted that he wasn't in shape during this period. Uh, a few months after this, he would be in the WWE's ECW show where he was in even worse shape. Um, he's had and, was, he was, and became ECW champion, by the way. Yeah. At, uh, the, uh not Madison square garden, um, Hammerstein ballroom. 
because they booed him out of the building that night. Um, but he like he talks about that in the documentary that WWE did on him that he just was not in shape. His hip was bad. He had bad knees. Like he's just was not. He should have been used, and everybody says this as a special attraction, but it's hard to do that when you're producing three hours of television every week. I think, again, right, I think this has always been something that I've hated about Vince McMahon, is his fascination with ramming attraction-based performers down our throat again and again and again we just i just talked about two of them viscera and big show again i i agree 100 these guys should be used sparingly for a very specific effect again what's one of the the giant paul white big show's most memorable moments was getting jackhammered by goldberg on nitro but it but again it you know it, it was part of the whole mystique of being the giant it was trying to capture that andre the giant mystique again at this point you just have this big 500 pound guy that can't wrestle you know being thrust into title matches or title scenarios or you know main event caliber level matches and it's just it's nonsensical it's pointless. And I mean, it. when it, you talk about Viscera, and we say, and here, yes, he's older, he's bigger, he's not in great shape, he's, he's hurting. Like, this is getting close to the end of Viscera's WWE run. But his run, with some starts and stops, started 93? And when he uh, was a member of, of Men on a Men Mission, on a mission. As, yeah. as Mabel, and like you look at Mabel, and he was never a great worker, but for a man his size to be able mm-hmm. to do uh, like the spinning kicks and the things he was able to do in that era, but at that era it was 13 years before this show, like it just shows once again the WWE going back to what it knew. And yeah. hey, Big Vis or Mabel's a great guy, or Nelson Frazier was his real name. Nelson's a great guy. Let's bring him back again. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it, it's it's. I think again, it just it, it, you know you there's you could come up with fifty different reasons why, you know why it happened, but like again, you watch this back, and, and you know I agree. I think you know earlier in his career in a tag team situation, you know, Mabel was a good integral part of that team. But when you put him in situations and Big Show the same, where they're having to wrestle, you know, Big Show having to go 16 minutes against Triple H, a legitimate main event, top of the card talent, you're just exposing what they can't do as opposed to focusing on what they can do. They can be an interesting attraction. They can be, you know, somebody who, you know, can make an impact in the minds of the viewers. Putting Big Show in a 16-minute match against Triple H at this juncture in 2006, it makes no 
sense. And all you're doing is exposing what he can't do instead of focusing on the things that he can do. And I think you know, so much of the big man mystique in WWE, you know, you look at you look at the Rolodex of names, right, that, that have gone through that promotion in the last 40 years. Andre the Giant, uh, Big John Studd, uh, King Kong Bundy, Yokozuna, Big Show, Viscera. I'm sure I'm missing all kinds of them. That Great Kali. Kali's another one, right? Guys that had impact. Not all of them can be Yokozuna and, and be able to use their frame in a talented way in a wrestling match. Like, it's just, it, just, it just doesn't work. And part of their mystique is they look different. I was just watching yesterday a timeline of WCW's 1997 uh, with Kevin Nash. Uh, Kayfabe commentaries have put a lot of their stuff on YouTube. And I found that channel and I've kind of been working through it. And part of it, and you can say what you want about Kevin. I think he's smart business-wise. Like he's got a lot of decent things to say. And one of the things he says is when he first walked into a wrestling locker room, like Dick Murdoch is whittling something from a stick, Abdullah the Butchers over on one other side. Nobody looks like that anymore. It's an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog when you walk into a wrestling locker room these days. And you don't have the big guys that look like Viscera anymore or kamala or yeah. kali or take earthquake 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 was 25 years old yeah when he did his run with hogan he looked 40 but he was 25 years old yeah and moved like that and moved really well i mean even under the mask as golga like he yep. still moved pretty good. He had dropped a bunch of weight in that, but like, it's just, it's, it's weird think, to see that stuff these days. Yeah. And again, I think, I think there will always be a place in wrestling for the big man. Right. I just think that that place is not having 17 minute wrestling matches against you- a guy like triple H. Do you see a difference between a guy like trying to think of a like Luchasaurus is a big guy, right? But he's tall and he's in great shape. And he's yeah, he's two hundred and seventy pounds. Yes. Yeah. And a, and a guy that's six three, four fifty. Yeah. Like that's what you like. I I'm racking my yeah. brain. I don't. I think see- like. Perfect example. I'll give you a great example. Wardlow is a great example right now. Oh, yeah. Now, again, he he is a today big man. Right? And what are they doing with him? Well, he's going out there and squashing nobodies. He's going to wrestle CM Punk on Dynamite this week, which I'm sure is going to be some sort of DQ fest where MJF interferes. But the thing is, is that the big man of today is a big man because, again, Wardlow's in, in amazing shape. I'm sure he could do a moonsault or something crazy off the top rope. But again, because he never actually does it, 
when it comes around to him actually doing one, it's going to get everyone's going to jump out of their seat. Oh, when he turns face on on MJF, yeah. th- like they better be in an outdoor stadium because the roof is coming off. Yeah. AEW and- is doing this stuff right because yeah. you've got guys like Wardlow who have very quietly and very um, slowly been brought along since the company started. And now you're starting to see the fruits of that labor yeah. where Wardlow's going to be one of your big baby faces yeah. over the next few years. Oh, yeah. Um, you've got Sammy Guevara, who could be a face or a heel. Um, you got guys on the undercard, like those guys in Bear Country. They are good guys. Yeah, and that I just, can for for their size. Yeah, and I just think right that again, like you can't really compare the big men of today and the big men of two thousand and six. You know, the guys like Visser and like Big Show. But a, a great example of current day is Onus, right? Oh yeah, bigger guy. I mean, he's not seven foot tall by any stretch of the imagination. But again, he has he he has athleticism as part of his game. Uh, Ivar is another guy. Uh, Viking yeah. Raiders. Yes. Um, again, big guy. But again, the big guys of now, they're more athletic. But again, you look at this whole look at Otis's body of work in WWE. They put the money in the bank on him. Everybody hated it. It went nowhere. Like because again, it just it doesn't. To me, and I know this is gonna this is gonna sound insensitive, but I don't think you can have a big guy play a prominent role in that sense of big guy in the big show viscera sense. They're just because it's not. It gets to a point where it's not believable. You can't have these guys wrestling fifteen to twenty minute matches against guys like Triple H and Shelton Benjamin, who you know, on one hand, you have a guy who at this point is multiple time world champion, one of the the top stars in the company in amazing athletic condition, and Shelton Benjamin, who was an NCAA wrestler. It's not believable to me in those situations. And again, one- I, I think it speaks to the lack of depth and th- this never-ending grip on how things used to be in WWE. The one guy we haven't mentioned, um, the guy that was with AJ Styles. Almost. 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 Like, yeah. he's a beast. Yeah. And he's about to get pushed down everybody's throat. Yeah. Braun Breaker's another guy. I mean, he's not like, you know, like he's big in like the Scott Steiner sense, big. Mm-hmm. But like, again, right, it's at what point are you? Here's a great example. If you were able to go to Disney World and ride one of their top attractions every single day, after a while, Space you would now? get you would get Woo. bored. Of, you would get bored of it after a while. Yes. The whole reason why it's called an attraction is because you can't really ride it every day. There's very few people who have the luxury of living in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, and, you know, going to Disney every single day and doing the same ride. And even if they did, they would get bored of it. Why? Because that's not what the ride is designed for. It's designed to be a memorable experience when the times that you do get to go on it. 
exposing, and again, I keep coming back to it, but exposing Big Show in a 16-minute match against Triple H, that bores you of the attraction. It, it really does. Because, well, another a guy because you're that not we, setting him up for any kind of success. A guy that we haven't talked about was actually in the dark match or the heat match for this pay-per-view. Uh, it was Snitsky, and he got defeated by Chavo Guerrero in four minutes and 18 seconds. Yep. Like, Snitsky was a guy who had the size, the athletic ability, the ability to have cut a decent promo and he's got caught in the baby kicking with Lita. He's losing to Chavo Guerrero on heat. Yeah. He then got bad teeth and bald head and that went nowhere. And then he became a butcher, I think. (laughs) But four minutes and 18 seconds on heat for Snitsky to lose to Chavo Guerrero. Yeah. All right, well, let's run down the rest of the card before we spend way too much time talking about Big Show and Viscera. Opening match, we talked about it. Big Nate against the rated R superstar Edge goes seven minutes and 17 seconds. And wouldn't you know, the opening match ends in a a DQ. Oh, man. Like, Ric Flair's not even warmed up in seven minutes and 17 seconds. I mean, at this point, he's blown up in seven minutes and 17 seconds. Did you think it was weird that they left him in the ring for the interview segment and then he got, like, music on his carryout? Like, that was weird, right? It was strange. Yeah. It was strange. It was... It was uh, yeah. Flair goes to put the figure four on edge. Lita with the distraction. Ooh. Well, then Flair... Puts the figure four on Lita, which I'm sure ended up in some some mental scarring and possibly a lawsuit or two along the way. (laughs) Edge invokes the money in the bank briefcase, which we may or may not talk about later in the podcast. Getting the DQ and losing the match. Aw, Ric Flair, by disqualification, retains the Intercontinental Championship. And we should say here as well as during the show, they spend a lot of time talking about WWE.com. And they were doing interviews with the winners and losers of each match, kind of like they used to do on the old superstar line. Uh, so there are a lot of things were kind of built around uh, Todd Grisham in that room and asking questions and kind of moving things along throughout the show. Yep. Yeah. Really pushing the, the additional benefits of the online portion of the business at this point. So our next match uh, for the WWE Women's Championship, it is Trish Stratus and Mickey James. Mickey just coming into the company uh, a couple of months before. Uh, she is Trish's biggest fan uh, and wants to learn everything, and I mean everything, oh. about Trish Stratus. Uh, James executed Stratus faction, attempted a Mick kick, but St- uh, Stratus countered with a chick kick to retain the title. This one went seven minutes and 18 seconds. Yeah, I mean, this storyline was par for the course, I guess, for women's wrestling in 2006. 
But it you did have, lead to one of the greatest WrestleMania moments. I mean, of all you time. have you you have a you have a lesbian love angle sort of. Um, you know, James, the, there's that memorable moment. Um, you know, uh, where uh, Mickey plants Trish with a with a kiss under the mistletoe, and oh, and then there's the. <laughs> One of the most infamous moments in women's wrestling ever, which was going to happen at WrestleMania, I believe. Well, that's what I just said. One of the yeah. greatest WrestleMania moments yeah. that you will never see on a WWE video. No. Edited, edited from the DVD. And, I mean, here's the thing. Like, you, you, you have to admit, right? This is 2006. Mickey James has had a hell of an interesting career in the wrestling business. You know, she's in the news, obviously, a lot this week because of the announcement on SmackDown that she will be participating in the women's Royal Rumble match, despite currently being the Impact Wrestling Knockouts champion, which they actually acknowledged on SmackDown. Let that sink in for a minute. We talked about that on the rebound this weekend. Uh, or this yeah. previous weekend. And um, not only did they say talk about uh, the Impact Nuggets champion, Pat McAfee has to be, if there's a reason to watch SmackDown, it might be Pat McAfee. Because he did say in recording or for Mickey James that um, she's going to have some uh, bad blood towards WWE coming in because of all the garbage that happened here before, last time. Oh, my God. Talking about her receiving all of her belongings from the performance center in garbage bags. By the way, can of Sprite for the working man. I don't, I don't want to go too far down into this because I know you, you did a fantastic job talking about it on the, on the rebound last week. But again, this is, this is interesting to me. And, and it's, again, it's kind of fitting that we're talking about Mickey James and, and this ridiculous storyline between her and Trish Stratus. But again, for a company that has gone so far out of their way to pretend like TNA Impact has never existed, when they have so many guys who made massive names in America for themselves there, uh, AJ Styles being one that comes to mind, the recently released Samoa Joe, there's a whole bunch of others. They've never really acknowledged the time that any of those guys spent at TNA. It's like they, like they were out of work during those periods of time to WWE color me moderately interested to see where this goes people were literally running to Twitter and saying oh my god the forbidden door is open blah blah like I would tell those people pump the brakes a little bit here Mickey James is theoretically a free agent um, who just happens to be currently the impact knockouts champion who has a very long storied career at WWE that yes, this is unprecedented levels of cross promotion within WWE, but some people really need to pump the brakes just a little bit. Um, like, I don't think you're going to see like Eddie Edwards in the men's Royal rumble. If that's what people are thinking. It wouldn't shock me if Moose were to be in the Royal rumble. I, it wouldn't shock me if this is the start of something bigger. But, like, I've seen some absolutely ludicrous, ridiculous, like, 
people on social media saying, oh, my God, like this is this is why they weren't too concerned about guys like Adam Cole, because now they're going to work with AEW and Adam Cole can come back and, and do. Cry. And I'm like, guys, shut up. Yeah, that's not happening. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, again, this is. Is this a one off cross promotional opportunity? Is it the start of something bigger? I don't know. But like putting all of your stock into the forbidden door being open now for WWE based on Mickey James coming in. Like again, she has a long history at WWE. It's going to make good television because again, of how she was dismissed and the, the, the news of the, of the garbage bag and, you know, them making light, not light of that, but McAfee using it on SmackDown. Which again, Mickey James wasn't there. She didn't come on and cut a promo. Um, you know, it was an announcement. It built hype. Does it mean that there's more to come? I don't know. But like, I'm not like jumping out of the rafters with excitement that all of a sudden we're going to start seeing all these guys coming into WWE who don't work for WWE. Well, and one thing to remember as well. Um, this past Saturday night, uh, Impact had its hard-to-kill pay-per-view, uh, and uh, Mickey James did defeat Deanna Perrazzo in their uh, street fight match. So she still has the knockouts title and is heading to the Royal Rumble with that. Uh, our next match, this is the one we talked about earlier um, that neither one of us could figure out why this happened. Uh, Jerry Lawler defeated Gregory Helms in nine minutes and 32 seconds after a diving fist drop uh, after teasing the pile driver to win the match. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Apparently have... it all happened because Lawler used to tell jokes about the hurricane. That was the reason Helms was angry. I will say this. The main card of this event had nine matches eight matches on it this was the third highest rated match according to dave Meltzer. that says a lot about how bad this card was because this match got three quarters of a star um and was the third highest rated match of the night uh the flair and edge match and the trish and mickey james match both got half a star uh, so for Whatever reason this happened, it was one of the highlights of the show, according to Mr. Dave Meltzer, which is good enough for me, because I couldn't sit through the nine minutes and 32 seconds of this. I could not click ahead fast enough because I had no interest in seeing this match. Uh, Triple H defeated the big show in 16 minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, they played around with the uh, Big Show's cast on his, ar on his arm and hand. Triple H pulled it off and then hit him with a broken sledgehammer, executed a terrible pedigree to win the match. And again, this match was rated worse than the Jerry Lawler-Gregory Helms match, which tells you all you need to know about the Triple H-Big Show match. 16 minutes and 11 seconds. It was about 16 minutes too long. He should have hit him with the sledge, got the one, two, three, been done in 10 seconds. We all would have been better off. Well, if that would have happened, our next match may have gotten more time. Which is what we would have wanted. Well, it was Shelton Benjamin 
who was looking for an apology from Viscera because earlier in the night, Viscera propositioned Mama Benjamin. God. And Mama Benjamin was like, I don't want an apology. I want you to kick his behind. And so here we go. It's Shelton Benjamin defeating Viscera after Mama Benjamin hit Viscera with the loaded purse twice. Benjamin performed a dragon whip for the victory. This one went seven minutes and 48 seconds. We find out later on back in the WWE.com room that yes, Mama, Mama Benjamin did have a brick in that purse. I know this is an audio only podcast, but what I'm going to do for all of my wonderful viewers at home is I'm going to take a picture of the face I'm currently making and I'm going to share it. If you, if you're listening to this podcast and you've made it this far, when you see the promotional tweet for this episode of ringside rewind, and you wonder why there is a picture of my face in the promotional tweet, this match is the reason for it and the storyline behind it. Because, oh my sweet Jehovah's, I could not give two less craps about Shelton Benjamin and his mother and Viscera putting the moves on her and a brick in her purse. What the hell are we doing with Shelton Benjamin at this point? Like, I don't I, I don't know what else to say. Um Mama Benjamin was performed by Thea Vidali, uh, who was uh, best known as her for her role as Thea Armstrong Terrell in the ABC sitcom Thea, which originally aired from ninety-three to ninety-four. So not uh, even cross promoting a current running show. No, no, she was but she was noted as the first African American female comedian. To have a television series named after her. She first showed up on the January 2nd episode of Raw. And stuck around until the February 20th episode. Oh, I'm sorry. Till the March 13th episode. Where Shelton announced to the crowd she was having heart surgery. And no plans to return to WWE. Am um, I? She did come back with an uh, a oxygen tank attached to a wheelchair. After the big show screamed at her one time. And then Sheldon won the Intercontinental title. I don't want to go too far down into this, but am am I wrong in thinking that we should have expected better out of Shelton Benjamin's wrestling career than what we got? 100%. I feel, again, highly decorated amateur wrestler, had a great tag team run with Charlie Haas in the world's greatest tag team. Had a pretty good run as Intercontinental Champion prior to this. And then literal hot dog water is what we're seeing here. He should have been Brock Lesnar's uh, heater the entire time. Yeah. Because Shelton and Brock were legitimately roommates when they were in college. Yeah. And we were... They were a tag team in OVW when they started out. They were the Minnesota stretching crew. It's been nice to see him come back in the last few years, um, especially his his involvement with the Hurt Business, which I think 
Um, you know, I've 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 really enjoyed kind of the throwbacks that you get with the Hurt Business with, you know, MVP and Shelton Benjamin being parts of it. Obviously the 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 not the reemergence because I think Bobby Lashley's always been at the top of whatever wrestling promotion he's in, but just the the cementing of Bobby Lashley as one of the top attractions in WWE. Um I, I do think that to me when you look at Shelton Benjamin's body of work over the 17, 18 years he has spent, you know, on main rosters across various promotions, I do wonder, you know, when it's all said and done for Shelton, we always have those lists, right? The lists of guys that that never got WWE title runs that should have. I think Shelton Benjamin belongs on that list. Oh, for sure. And, and maybe it was a personality thing. Like, again, like, it's really hard, I know, to put main titles on guys whose character is driven more by them being a good wrestler as opposed to, you know, being a good character. Because, again, right, like, I don't know if, like, Shelton Benjamin's never really come off as having a super engaging wrestling character. So I'm sure that's probably the side of it that's held him back. But like he he's so good in the ring. He has been so he's still so good in the ring now. You know, at 46 years old. I just again, I just you know, it's there's no real like I I've been, I was thinking when I was making my notes for the show like I'm trying to think of a comparable to Shelton Benjamin. And there really isn't one in the grand scheme of things. There really isn't a comparable who has been in his sort of situation where, you know, just so talented in the ring and just really never got over the hump of being a mid card guy. But at this point, I mean, he's out there fighting viscera on behalf of his mama. Like, Come on, man. The best time Shelton Benjamin ever had was when he had managers. And I think he probably suffered from WWE taking away or lessening the importance of managers. Because then you can have somebody... Because if if the problem is he can't talk, that's why you put a manager with him. You put... Imagine if they would have let Heyman build a Paul Heyman guy faction. He would have been, Benjamin would have been perfect for that. Oh, for sure. He has that connection to Brock. So therefore has that connection to Paul, has the OVW connection to Paul. Would It would have been perfect. And I agree. I think at the high point of Benjamin's athleticism was when managers were taboo. Unless he, you were, unless you were part of evolution. And had Ric Flair coming out to the ring of all your matches. But I digress. If if he had had a J.J. Dillon. You know, <laughs> you know who he sh- would have had that would have been really good? And I'm kind of messing with the timeline a little bit. Um, Shelton Benjamin, if he had had a smart Mark Sterling type of guy. Yeah. Whoever that was in 2006. Yeah. That's what he needed. Yeah, I think it would have been better for him. Yeah. Our next match uh, is a barn burner, let me tell you. Uh, it was 
a bra and panties gauntlet match. Um, Lillian Garcia had one of her one of her little episodes at the first of this match, getting the rules wrong. Uh, but uh, I digress. Uh, it was Ash. Now listed on Wikipedia for this show, for this match is Ashley Mazzaro, Candice Michelle, Maria, Tori Wilson, and Victoria. There were two other, well, one person and a manager also involved in this match, and that was May Young and the fabulous Moolah. The only thing I will say about this match is that Victoria should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Let's make that happen sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, that that's the only thing I wrote down for this match. This is peak. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I was going to say like peak WWE sexualizing women. But let's admit the peak of that is the next night on Raw, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Uh, but yeah, this was. It was Mickey, what it was. Is Mickey James in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so, right? I'm uh, looking here now. No, not yet. Okay, so do we think that maybe she gets in this year as part of this? yeah she could fill that woman's spot because they you know they have a spot for everybody like you get the one headliner the deceased wrestler the tag team the woman and then you put 47 people in the legacy version i think here's the thing right i say no only because I feel like this, her coming back, is maybe sort of like a tryout for a Hall of Fame appearance. Um, because, again, at this point, if you put her up on stage in front of a live crowd at the Hall of Fame, what is she going to say? You literally fired her and sent her crap in a garbage bag. Um, so, like, I, I think maybe this is a olive branch trying to rebuild the relationship, and then maybe she goes into the Hall of Fame next year if it goes well. Maybe, um, but I, I, Mickey James is going to go into the hall of fame. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, um, but I don't think that will be this year. I think they have some fences to mend there first. And maybe that's part of what this deal is, right? Yeah. We're going to bring you back, you know, come do 10 minutes in the rumble. You know, we'll promote your crap. We'll promote some stuff for old, old, Billy Corrigan? No, that's NWA. That's NWA. Uh, I always get my my Billy Corrigan references confused. But your TNA and your NWAs, you get yeah, them mixed up. Yeah, well, it's Impact now. Anyway, that, I oh, Impact. That, yes. I got to get that through my head. But like again, like I think this is probably maybe a tryout for that. But I think Victoria is is very well deserving of that as well. I mean, she carried WWE through this period of time, right? She was never like the super duper top of the card, but you know what? She was always a good hand. Like she went out there and when she actually was able to wrestle matches, had some great matches. Um, you know, she had a, she had a great run in, in, in early 20 or well, late two thousands, early 2010s TNA. Um, but yeah, I just, I think she should be in, I, I think of all the people in this match, Tori Wilson, I think is already in. Candice um, Michelle, no. Maria, no. Ashley Mazzaro, no. 
Mola and Mae Young, obviously, yes. Um, yeah, like it's. I was always a big fan of Victoria because I liked her finisher, that Widow's Peak move. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of anybody who does that. Um, I and think she, she got into she got into wrestling 20 years too soon. Oh yeah, I think, and she, she did very a, well for somebody who came in as a Godfather hoe. Yeah, that's what I mean. She came in in an era where we literally were were, were treating women like eye candy as opposed to actual performers. Oh, by the way, Ashley Mazzaro won this match in 11 minutes and one second and then decided to strip down to her bra and panties anyway. Yep. Hey, listen, minus a star uh, is what Meltzer gave it. I mean, I'll give it, I'll give it dud just to be nice because I consider dud to be like zero. The Elimination Chamber is next. John Cena, Carlito, Chris Masters, Shawn Michaels, Kane, and Kurt Angle. This match goes 28 minutes and 23 seconds, and John Cena retains the title. Big match, John. As, were you a little surprised? Because when I watched this match, I was expecting the old Thugonomics theme. I didn't realize that it has been his time now for 15 years, 16 years. Yes, it has been his time for a long time. Mm-hmm. It has been his time for a very, very long time at this point. At this point, uh, Peacemaker you know on HBO Max in the next couple of weeks. By the way, there you go. This match was was really good. Yes, uh, it was by far the best match on the card. I don't. I, and again, <laughs> yeah, that's the, like being the nicest guy in prison. The yeah. understatement of the millennium is that that was an extremely low bar to clear. Uh, but again, the, what did Cornette tell Flair one time? You stole the show, but it was Penny Larceny. <laughs> exactly. But for a brand branded pay-per-view, this was a really good match. Um, Again, I think you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, right? You know, you've got, Four Hall of Famers in there, and then you've got Chris Masters and Carlito. Um, you know, you've got Kane, you've got Angle, you've got Michaels, you've got Cena. The WWE Championship is on the line. I think this was a was a really really good match. I think it was. I think it was was surprising. The order which people were eliminated. Really, I think the the air was let out of the balloon for me later in the match when we got down to Cena, Masters, and Carlito, and I'm like, what the hell is happening here? They obviously didn't know they were sending Angle to SmackDown to be the champion at this point, to have him be eliminated first in the Elimination Chamber match. Yeah. Um, Which kind of put SmackDown behind the eight ball to begin with. Yep. Um, Yeah, I just think having having Cena, like, when Michaels goes out at 23.35, the match goes another five minutes, you know Cena's winning. Yes. Carlito and Masters are not walking out of this as WWE champion. It's not happening. Not especially when you had, like, again, this isn't a situation where you have Bray Wyatt win the Elimination Chamber, right? Like, Bray Wyatt was deserving of being WWE champion at the time and overcame the big names that were in that match to win. Chris Masters and Carlito are not that at this point, right? 
it it would have been a, a, a absolute earth shattering victory for either of them to conquer over big match John. And you know, the fact that they were they get eliminated seven seconds within each other by a roll up. Yeah, like it, it's just again, right? It's this off brand in between pay per view stuff where like I'll use day one as as a recent example. It's like we're just having a pay-per-view for the sake of having a pay-per-view. We're hyping all these matches, but we're not putting a whole lot of effort into how they're going to end. The This was a great match with a really stupid ending with the exception of what happens after the match. Now, again, right, to me, we've talked about this before. Whenever you have a, a cash-in, I consider that to be an extension of whatever match it happened to. We like for the records, right? They consider it to be a separate match. But for for me, I consider the main event to be the entirety of the elimination chamber plus everything that happened afterwards. So it, it was a huge moment. But like the ending of the elimination chamber, those last five minutes were just they were they were awful. Because you knew what was going to happen. And it's just, yeah, it was, it was extremely deflating until at which point Vince pops his head out of the curtain. Well, I was going to say after John beats them, that's it. The match is over. The show's over. Everybody goes home. Right. Yep. Except no chance in hell hits over the uh, PA system. Vince McMahon comes out, tells everybody to sit down because people were actually leaving trying to beat the beat the traffic out of the building. And he announced that Edge was cashing in his money in the bank contract he had won at the previous WrestleMania. Uh, that uh, cash-in went 1 minute and 46 seconds. Edge with Lita defeated John Cena for Edge's first WWE Championship. So some things about this that are, that are really good and really bad. This is the first money in the bank cash-in, right? I am very happy that Vince does not come out for every single damn money in the bank cash in to announce that the person's cashing it in. This was the only one it was ever done for, right? Everyone after this, you know, it was always the, 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 the wrestler coming out typically sometimes with a referee at the last second of a show. And, and, and again, right. I think you could, the fact that we didn't just go from the end of this match again, You've got the elimination chamber. We're having to get rid of the chamber. I think at that point, that's when people start leaving. So I think from, to me, it would seem like this wasn't the plan. I don't know if, if this was the plan. I really Meltzer, don't. Meltzer says this was given to Cena and Edge the weekend of the show. Yeah. And see, without knowing that, because I didn't until you told me. Again, the planning aspect of it, this is one of the, to me, biggest moments in WWE history, because this is the beginning, really, of one of the coolest booking things they've ever done. The Money in the Bank briefcase has created so many memorable moments over the course of the last 16 years. What's your favorite? Oh, I mean, Rollins at WrestleMania is is probably my favorite. Ziggler. 
Ziggler was a good one too. I think Ziggler because of the pop. Um, it's still one of the all-time great pops in in in, in WWE. I think um, again, I think uh, the you know, um, I completely lost my train of thought because now you got me thinking of Ziggler and Biggie and AJ and. Um, but yeah, I think the Rollins one is probably my favorite again, just because of the scale of it all, right? Like the whole, you know, at WrestleMania turning it into a triple threat, you know, that image of Rollins standing up on top of the stage in San Francisco, swinging the belt around over his head, like just like it was insane. But I think, you know, what can't be disputed is that the money in the bank is fundamentally given WWE a built-in wild card every single year where you never know what, you know what? I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to change my answer because my favorite one in terms of, of watching it uh, uh, during the event was Ambrose because yeah. he literally said, I'm going to win this and then I'm going to cash it in at the end of the show. And you're like, there's no way, like there's no way, right? It's just not going to happen. And then the whole Rollins is waiting for him to come down the entryway. His music hits it. He comes up from behind, hits him with the briefcase, dirty deeds, one, two, three. Like again, so many great moments are tied to this briefcase. And I think what it does is it gives them, you know, I, I said wild card before, but like it's another play in the playbook. It's another way they could transition things. You know, the, the people who have had the briefcase, I mean, Edge had it a couple times, Punk had it a couple times. You know, uh, Daniel Bryan had the briefcase, didn't he, for a while? Well, yeah. Was that when he beat the big show after he beat big the big show, show was, yeah. was on top of the pile of chairs? Um, you know, Big E is a, is a recent one, right? That was that was massive uh, in terms of you know everybody was waiting for Big E to get his moment. We won't talk about what happened uh, last weekend, but um, you know, and, and the list goes on and on. You know, the uh, the Miz and like just all these people who have had the briefcase, and it's led to these amazing moments for them. This is where it all goes back to. I don't think we knew as wrestling fans how this was going to work out. Oh, this guy won this briefcase in a ladder match, and now he could cash it in anytime he wants. I don't think people really understood how that was going to be deployed. Like, oh, does he have to tell him like the night before, or like is it going to be a scheduled thing? Because we've seen sk the odd scheduled money in the bank defense. Yeah, Usually, Rob, Va Rob Van Dam said, "I'm cashing in at ECW One Night Stand." Right, and again, that's a very unique situation and worked out. You know, that's the whole Heyman. Rob, Rob, <laughs> Heyman counts the one, two, three. But again, right? It's it, we. I don't think we knew how this was going to play out. And again, but, I, and, and they all haven't been home runs. Like for every Rollins and Big E, we had a Mister Kennedy or an Otis or a Damian Sandow. Yeah, and I think now that you also have the women's money in the bank, and and again, I think that was a natural evolution right to have that again it just it gives it gives the ability for them to do something different you know was jack swagger the best world heavyweight champion ever no but again his money in the bank cash in was still a memorable experience right like it was still something that 
you looked at and you were like, oh, that's super cool. And you're right. There's been some duds. Damian Sandow comes to mind, right? Yeah. As as somebody who you know who uh, was a dud. Baron, well, he was the first one to Baron, lose, I think. Baron Corbin's was a dud. Baron Corbin and Damian Sandow are the only two that have lost. No, Cena lost too. Oh, Cena lost when he was he, money. In well, the bank. he won the match, but he didn't win the title. Yes, he won via disqualification. So theoretically, so there's been four money in the bank cash-ins on the men's side. All of the women ones have have won the title. Four on the men's side that did not lead to a title change. Cena, Damian Sandow, Baron Corbin, and Braun Strowman. Uh, so all four of those, uh, obviously Cena won the match, but not the title. Sandow and Corbin both lost, and uh, Braun's ended in a no contest or draw, I guess, because there was a run-in by Brock. Uh, Brock came in and, and just killed everybody. Um, but again, right. You can look, look at, remember Brock with the briefcase and the Brock party and him coming out dancing. And then the whole Paul Heyman tells him that you've got a year and Lester slaps him around. And then he eventually cashes in and just kills. Um, uh, who do you kill? I don't even remember. Rollins. Yes. But like, yeah, it's, I love the concept. And again, you could tell that this wasn't the plan because I don't think you'd want to have it at the end of a cage or, um, uh, you know, elimination chamber situation where I'm sure people had left and were probably extremely upset in the concourses and the parking lots that they didn't get to see what happened. But the concept of money in the bank has always been awesome. So the next night on Raw, Edge and Lita decide to celebrate Edge's world championship. And how do they do that? With a breakfast buffet and champagne. Or, or, you know, you could get, like, Edge had some friends. So you get some friends together in the locker room. There's a cake. Because every time there's a cake, nothing bad happens. No. But Edge, being rated R, decided to have a live sex celebration in the ring on Monday Night Raw, uh, with in bed and mood lighting, uh, Lita in her bra and panties, and then less than that under the covers. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, don't forget to pick up your WWE action figures at your local Walmart. Definitely the low point of sexualization in WWE. The first, last, and only live sex celebration. Um, I mean, again, this was something I feel like would have flown in 1998 and came off as extremely tone deaf in 2006. Um, it was horrible. I remember thinking at the time how cringy it was watching it. And I mean, I was 24. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. You know, Edge. Oh, by the way, Edge escaped the ring when uh, Cena crashed it. Uh, Cena and Lita were alone in the ring, and uh, Cena performed his finisher. I mean, uh, the finishing move, uh, the FU, which has a few different connotations in this case. Yep. Uh, yes. It ends the segment, leads to a championship rematch at the Royal Rumble, which Cena won. 
And then we went to WrestleMania with, I believe that was Cena Michaels. Uh, yeah, that would have been what WrestleMania, uh, 23, 23, I think 22, 22 in Detroit. Yes. So that was Cena Michaels. No, it was Illinois. It was in Chicago. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it was a smaller WrestleMania, only 17,000. Yeah, that was the one they had the pictures all around the top of the of the of the arena. And they left them there for Raw and SmackDown. Yes. Like and all it the was, stars they were introducing yes. all the stars. And it was Cena Triple H in the main okay. event. Okay. Yeah, because Cena Michaels happened in I remember that happening in Detroit because Cena came in in a muscle car breaking the glass. Yeah. Yeah, I believe uh, that, yeah, there was a road to red. That, that was when they had the tournament to determine who the number one contender for Cena's title was going to be. Um, they had a tournament. Triple H ended up winning the tournament, which gave him the other spot in the main event. On the other side, on the SmackDown side, it was uh, Mysterio defeated Orton and Angle in a triple threat um, because Mysterio would go on to win the Royal Rumble um a few weeks after the show that we're currently talking about yes because he won that was the, the time that was the eddie the eddie, the eddie, the eddie. um do you yeah. think hunter looks back in these days when he was like top of the wwe well wistfully these days or probably yeah I, I, again we've talked about it on, on a variety of of shows but i don't think Hunter gets enough credit for this period of time when he was literally surrounded by, you know, guys who were like, you know, you look at the top of the card at this point and you've got, it's Cena, Triple H, you know, you've got Angle, um, Michaels. you know, Michaels, you know, Edge is starting to make that push for the main event. But by the time WrestleMania comes around, he's wrestling against Mick Foley in what would become a very memorable hardcore match. Um, you know, you've got JBL is starting to rise on the SmackDown side. I mean, he had been up there for a while. I think he's coming off of his title run at this point, but he's kind of on the come up again. Uh, he goes on to WrestleMania where he wins the United States championship. So he's kind of going back up again. But really, you know, when you look at Attitude Era holdovers and what Triple H had done in his 10 years in WWE up until that point, you know, he's still in very much so in the main event when the two guys that he ran with, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, are long gone at this point. Yeah. Also, but, uh, but another celebration for the win. Yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking of, uh, tension between uh, Trish Stratus and Mickey James continued to build following this show. Uh, the uh, two teamed up to defeat Candice, Michelle, and Victoria at Saturday night's main event, 32. Uh, James attempted to kiss Stratus, but was rebuffed, causing her to attack Stratus. Yeah, leading to... Yeah. <laughs> uh, <Keep going. laughs> leading to a rematch uh, at WrestleMania 22, which James won earning her first women's well, championship. Well, it's funny. We are, um, we're a few days removed from an episode that we, we talked about. We didn't talk about the episode specifically, 
Um, but we are a few days removed from the infamous finger poke of doom uh, episode, which occurred on January 4th, 1999. <laughs> WrestleMania uh, that year would go on to become the finger lick of doom. Um, <laughs> Because it would be it would be it would be erased. Here's the thing: the finger poke of doom. You can still see it on the WWE Network. The finger lick of doom. You absolutely cannot. It has been scrubbed from the record, big time. Um, it. Uh, uh, I was watching uh, come, again, with our mutual friend Sean Williston. Uh, shout out to Sean, who's restarted his friend. music blog. He, I am, I am related to him. Oh, okay. Well, it's your your yeah. family member, but mutual <laughs> friend for us. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yes. Sean Williston, who's uh, put Sound Bites his music blog back up. So uh, be sure that you can check that out. I think it's at uh, soundbites.blogspot.com. I think, uh, but uh, check it out on Facebook as well. Um, I, we were watching that show live with. Uh, his significant other at the time. And the look on all of our faces when the finger lick of doom, which is all I'm calling it from now on, happened was a mixture of amazement, amusement, and confusion. Which should I, be the title of this episode. Yeah, I think... And again, not to go too far down the rabbit hole of this because it's one that is hard to climb out of. Um, <laughs> but I think that in a storyline that for the better part of eight months was extremely regrettable to begin with, that moment erased any relevance of that storyline to me um, because that's all anybody ever remembered of it. Oh, the Mickey James Trish Stratus storyline. That's the one where she grabbed her by the hoo-ha and then licked her fingers at WrestleMania, right? Because that's all anybody remembers at that point. And the fact that that part has been erased from history, the rest of it now just is completely out of context. Again, completely regrettable. Um, yeah, just not a good look, man. Not a good look. So would you say your New Year's resolution would be to not watch New Year's Revolution ever again? I think to summarize New Year's Revolution 2006, this was an extremely underwhelming, disappointing, useless uh, pay-per-view with, with the beginning of one of the coolest and most interesting booking gimmicks they've ever done. Well, you can tell us what you think on our social media sites uh, on Twitter. You can check out the show at ringsiderewind.com. Uh, he is at Snaggle J. I am at CD Lawrence. And on Facebook, the show is at facebook.com slash ringsiderewind. As always, we want to thank you for listening to Ringside Rewind. If you're listening on our website, ringsiderewind.com, or in your podcast app of choice, on Android or iOS, we greatly appreciate it. We are back in 2022. We've got some great episodes coming up. We're into Royal Rumble season now, baby. So you can anticipate us covering a Royal Rumble, maybe two, who knows. But make sure you subscribe and check your podcast feed every two weeks. And we've also got 
CD, doing the ringside rebounds on the weekends as well. All kinds of great content coming out to your feed. We want to thank you so much, as I said, for listening to the podcast. And until next time, be kind and rewind.